You're listening to Vitamin PhD, a podcast from Boston University delivering career narratives and know-hows to supplement your doctoral studies. Welcome to the Vitamin PhD podcast. This is our season on self-awareness and what it means to practice that core capacity in our graduate and professional lives. I'm Grace McGoyan, a doctoral candidate in American and New England studies. And I'm Thatchida Pachardo, a doctoral candidate in molecular and translational medicine. Today, we're excited to be continuing our conversation with Dr. Emily Roberts about how we can use self-awareness to take control of our finances and set ourselves up for a fiscally sustainable and successful future. I'm just interested, like I'm genuinely just interested in the sort of like the professional job that you do. Um, I'm interested in how you balance the sort of heavy emotions that I'm sure cross your path um, with the sort of awareness of sort of systemic, um, you know, issues that are going on. You know, um, I'm sure that you've probably had people uh, say this to you, or maybe you've said it yourself about um, this plethora of articles at one point, which was like about stop buying avocado toast and you can like buy a home and things like that. It's like, it's, it's masquerading as advice but it's not that helpful. Like in your sort of professional experience, like how do you sort of walk this kind of balanced high rope between realizing that the reality is you do still have to budget and, and think about money and also acknowledging that, yes, there are like these, the, these systemic issues that mean that like the money available is a, a smaller pot than ideal. my approach has been, as you were kind of just saying, it's just to acknowledge it. Like I, I just, I just, I just said a few moments ago, like there's real scarcity and there's your scarcity mindset. And so part of this is figuring out what is, is real and what real limitations are on you and what limitations is your mindset maybe imposing on you that you could, overcome or reverse if you wanted to. And that's really tricky to figure out because when we're talking about grad students in the PhD space, there is real scarcity. And like there are real systemic issues, both within academia and in the United States more generally, you know, black, white wealth gap and income gap, for example, these things are real. Um, and it, it's really true that you're not going to be paid that much during graduate school and that you may be paid inconsistently and all those things are, are, are real. And so I don't want to say like, oh, having the best mindset, you can overcome any obstacle in front of you because that's, that's not true. But what is true is that like your money mindset will, if you have an unhelpful one, it will cripple you even further and make those barriers even more difficult to, you know, surmount or work around or whatever the case might be. And so, yeah, I think for me, it's just about acknowledging, um, the difficulty and the pain that people are in, but still trying in some way to um, show them an example of someone who has worked through something similar to what they're going through and like show them a path for that. And so one thing that I have been so fortunate is I've been doing my podcast for like over three years now, and I've had, I don't know, hundred plus interviews. And I can now point to all these stories of people I've interviewed on the podcast because a lot of people won't connect with my story in particular. Like I went to Duke. Duke is in a moderate cost of living area. I was paid a very decent stipend given the local cost of living. My story does not resonate with someone who lives in Boston or another high cost of living area. But through the podcast, I 
can interview people who live in Boston or San Francisco or New York and et cetera. Um, maybe you don't identify with me because I'm white and you wanna hear from people who are like of your same background, maybe because I'm, I'm not first gen, like I have a parent who has a master's degree. Maybe you wanna hear from someone who's first gen. Like I've now collected like so many wonderful stories on the podcast. I'm really excited to be able to point to, you know, these, these other people having success in various different ways. Um, and that's one thing that's wonderful about the personal finance space generally, I think has expanded a lot over the past 10 years to have all kinds of different stories and all kinds of different voices in it. It's not just dominated by people who are like high income or, or you know, that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, so acknowledgement and then hopefully giving them some kind of example to counter a limiting belief that they might have. Um, so, okay, yes, you might have this limiting belief, but check it out because this other person worked around this in some way. And maybe you could too, maybe you won't, but at least it's like opening your mind to think of what's possible. Yeah, I think that's such a great point. I think we, as people pursuing PhDs are like in this twilight zone almost and everything from like that student to employee sort of mentality, but also just, you know, privileged versus underprivileged where we are among a very specialized group of people operating at sort of these very, very elite the levels of education and academia where, you know, less than like, I don't even know what the percentage is at this point. I should look this up, but like less than, a, for example, for my own background, I think it's something like 0.11% of Latinos in the United States have a PhD. So less than 1% of people. And I am now in that group while simultaneously, you know, there are food pantries like at our university for PhDs, which is kind of insane. So operating in this sort of privileged versus underprivileged space, but I think that's something that's so wonderful about being part of Vitamin PhD is being able to bring these resources such as your website and your podcast and those resources that you've been able to sort of collate in that space to a wider audience and sort of do our little part to bring these conversations and bring the self-awareness where maybe, yes, you know, we are getting paid less than minimum wage sometimes, but also you do have the power to take that first step towards organizing your personal finances and changing that mentality. Right. And we're having this um, sort of conversation in a sort of semi-formal setting of a podcast, but I was wondering if you could speak to maybe some advice about having these conversations in real life with your friends, because again, as someone you know, I'm using myself as an example all of the time because I can't always speak to other people's experiences. But growing up, it was sort of, you know, talking about money was just like not as much of a thing because there was panic associated with it as well. I, I got very uncomfortable with mentioning it or bringing it up. And I am, you know, I'm trying to find a sort of toolkit to um, talk to people in my community and in my job and, and my friendship circle. Um, about that kind of thing like what sort of advice would you have for people who want to maybe start having these conversations if at all if you would even advise that they talk about it I, I would yeah to, to the extent that you're able of course um first of all uh I mentioned Erin Lowry earlier she has I think I believe the third book in her broke millennial series is all about uh relationships and talking about money I'm not like a big expert in this area. So I'll point to her book as like another resource here. But yes, I think making like teeny tiny steps toward, you know, just making sort of overtures with your peers, letting them know that again, in areas that you're comfortable with, that you are open to discussing money. And maybe it's by bringing up something super small, like, you know what? I actually am going to have to decline that um, social invitation because I have this other priority this month and I just can't do both. 
which is like a polite way of saying like, I don't have the money for it, right? Um, or like my budget is telling me what to do. Um, so that's one way to say something like that. Another way could be just like, oh, wow, you know, if you don't mind me asking, like, uh, how much do you pay for rent? Cause like, this is a great place. And I, I would love to know if I'm in like the same ballpark. And I find that graduate students actually are, are pretty open to talking about sort of bigger, like structural expenses, like, um, how, you know, what your stipend is or like what you're paying in rent and so forth, especially of course, among your own within your same university. So it's relevant. Um, maybe another overture you could make is like, Hey, um, I'm really interested in increasing my stipend. Have you heard of any like fellowships that might apply to me? Like, you know, I know about this one in my field, but like, have you applied for any other ones that would make sense for me? And that just lets them know that like, you have an area of concern within your finances and you're looking for ways to like improve in that area and you're open to talking about it. So making these like teeny tiny overtures, I think you might be able to find like one or two people who are sort of like safe people to talk to within your peer group. Um, and this was easy for me to find during graduate school because I was blogging about personal finance. So people already knew that like I was interested and like I was open to talking about this. So people would sort of come to me, but I think maybe those tiny overtures, you might be able to find someone who has like, oh, you have a similar background to me. Like you're also first gen, like you also grew up in like a low income household or, you know, whatever um, is common between the two of you. And you might be able to share a little bit about that experience and how transitioning into academia is like different for you than it might be for other people. Um, so just tiny, tiny conversations. And if people, if other people are uncomfortable with that stuff, they'll shut it down. Like they'll let you know, like, oh, okay. Like they just won't like follow up or like they won't answer or they'll deflect or whatever. And then, you know, like, okay, that person's not interested. Um, and I think another area, like, I mean, I was just making suggestions about like talking to people in real life, but um, it's also great to find communities online, like these niche communities, right? Like, okay, PhD students are also like interested in finances. And like, I run one, I mentioned it earlier, like the personal finance for PhDs community. Um, certainly you're welcome to join that, but there may be other spots on like, maybe there's a YouTuber that you like, who like is a grad student and talks about their budget from time to time. Or maybe there's like a Reddit community that you want to join, or there are these like spaces online where you can find kind of your, your tribe a little bit more easily. Right. And one of the things I really like about all of this is that it's it's all such low stakes conversations, like it's just opening the door as opposed to, I think in my experience, I don't know, Tatira, if you can speak to this, but sometimes in grad school, people, we don't talk and don't talk. And then there's like a, a meltdown moment where it's like, what am I going to do? <laughs> like, what am I going to do? And then that is unhelpful for everyone involved because it's gotten to the point where it's you know it's obviously making someone very distressed but it also has these ripple effects of like making the other people who are privy to this more panicked about the money situation because you're you're seeing like a, a very difficult situation unfold um whereas like maybe if we had been sort of talking or like more tuned in um in in the sort of lead up then it wouldn't have got to like the meltdown I think that's, I love that point. And I think that's actually really important to talk with, for example, your advisor about like, Hey advisor, things aren't too bad right now, but like, I really would like to find a way to increase my stipend. Um, and just what I said earlier, you can ask a peer, you can ask your advisor, what should I be applying for? Is there something you can nominate me for just being open about like your own, um, needs and desires and so forth with the people who have maybe <laughs> the ability to help you with, and your advisor should be in your corner for this. Right. 
Um, another person, for example, you, um, you Grace, as an international student, um, you can speak with your designated school official. So like, I actually, I just learned this term a few months ago. I did an interview on my podcast. Um, if you search for like F1 visa on my website, you'll, I'm sure you'll find it right away, but it was all about how students who are on F1 visas can and cannot try to increase their incomes. And so I interviewed a designated school official and I interviewed an immigration lawyer and they had different sort of opinions on like where that line is of like what's okay and what's not okay. And so it's really interesting with international students because like we talked about limiting beliefs earlier. So an international student could easily have a limiting belief of I can never make more money than what is provided through my stipend. Legally, I can't. And that is true like 90%. But there are these, this last like 10%, like maybe little wiggle workarounds um, that could potentially work for you. And so, yeah, like it's largely true, but that doesn't mean it has to be like a hundred percent true for every single individual. And maybe you can find a way around this, like almost completely true limiting belief. Listening to the, that podcast episode, if you're an international student would be like a first way. Cause again, there's like sort of a yes, you can, and like, no, you can't. And like, maybe this is a gray area kinds of uh, um, layers in that. So just, just for one example of like how mindset affects all of what we're talking about. Right. And it's a good vocabulary to sort of say to your advisor, like, okay, I have had a listen to this podcast, or I've been thinking a lot about the sort of um, opportunities for F1 visa holders. And as a result, I am, I am really interested in pursuing fellowships because I know that is something that I could avail of. So being willing to be open with your advisor that way. I just want to mention one other tiny, um, thing that you might bring up with your advisor. If, if finances are really a concern for you and you've hit some dead ends, like increasing your stipend sort of directly, maybe through like winning a fellowship or like whatever your advisor can do, he or she's already done. Um, Another thing to ask about is whether or not you can do an internship. Uh, Maybe, you know, take the summer away from your research and go work for someplace that pays you much better than what you're getting through your stipend. And that like one summer alone of making a few like extra thousand dollars actually can be a huge game changer for a graduate student and get you from like living paycheck to paycheck or being a little bit like in credit card debt kind of continually to actually being ahead and actually having a little bit of money in the bank, for example. So something to bring up with your advisor, like, am I allowed to do I know I'm not allowed to work in this way, but am I allowed to work in this way? So sorry, it's a share. I interrupted you. What were you going to say? No, that's okay. I was just going to say that I think your point of just like talking to people and being open is so, so critical. I think, you know, the sort of political landscape and even sort of the historical, you know, sort of labor movements in the United States have always, always advocated for just talking to your coworkers, you know, and this is not unique to just graduate students where we're very closed off, but just, you know, American society in general, there's a taboo about talking about money. um, And that even gets exacerbated for people of certain cultural backgrounds, such as my own, where it's just not something that you talk about. Um, So even just opening the door a crack and taking these tiny steps of, hey, what are you getting paid, you know, what sort of grant are you on or what are you paying for your rent? Um, even in these smaller communities, it doesn't have to be anything formal, but just having these conversations amongst peers, I think serves us not only in graduate school, but also beyond when we actually enter the job market, or even if you stay in academia, sort of what are other people getting paid and sort of what are other people's strategies and finding these communities, such as personal finance for PhDs or other YouTube, Reddit communities, et cetera, um, can really be that first step towards you know, personal finance empowerment. Totally, totally agree. Very, very well put. 
Um, I want to actually add, I have another resource in case you're curious, especially if you're a prospective graduate student, you're not yet enrolled in a program. Um, I have a database website called phdstipends.com, and it's where graduate students self-report what they're making in their stipends. They say their university, their department, and so on. And so that's a really good um, resource. If you're not yet ready to say to a person, <laughs> what are you making? You might reference that to see, oh, is my university and my department listed here? Or is this other person's department and my university listed? Or if you're not yet enrolled, the field that I'm looking at, what is the sort of range of stipends these people are being paid at different universities? So it's, um, and you know what, that can be itself a conversation starter. Hey, I wanted PhD stipends and I saw this crazy thing. Like, what do you think about that? Do you think anybody's actually getting paid that here? And the person might say to you, oh, well, I am because I have this certain fellowship and then pst, I got a bonus because I won the fellowship or I negotiated for an increased pay. So like things, right. Just make these little tiny overtures. You never know like what's going to happen. And I honestly think you can deepen your relationships with other people, whether it's your peers, your advisor by being like honest and being transparent about this area. It's really important area of your life. But like you said, one that's neglected to be you know discussed. Right. We don't have um, always have the vocabulary or the language or the practice at sort of doing those kinds of conversations. So it's good to start small with like friends and peers, because then as Tatira and, and uh, you, Emily, sort of brought up that you do eventually get to the negotiation stage. Like eventually you're going to be there. Like that's it's going to come. There is going to come a day where we all finish our PhDs and graduate um, and go on the job market. I came into the episode, into the interview saying, we need to talk about mindset. <laughs> and we did. And I love that. But I also want to talk about numbers a little bit. Um, and some, again, in to the point of having more self-awareness around your finances, um, not only like interrogating your own mindset, figuring out where that came from, maybe trying to find some counter examples, so you can move your mindset towards a more helpful one. Um, the other part of the self-awareness is knowing your numbers. And so I know that especially in graduate school, because it's such a difficult financial time of life, but a lot of people do want to completely avoid looking at their money or they only look at certain aspects of it and then they don't want to think about other aspects of it. Um, and so it's it can be hard, but the very first step is an awareness of where you currently stand financially, purely black and white numbers. And you do that by calculating your net worth, which is the sum of the value of all of your assets. So like whatever's in your checking account, your savings account, if you have any investments, if you own any property like a house or a car, um, these kinds of assets, sum of all the values of those minus the sum of all of your outstanding liabilities. So any student loan debt or credit card debt, medical debt, car debt, mortgage, all that kind of stuff. And then you'll see in very black and white where you stand financially, your net worth. Um, and it could be a bleak figure. Many, many, many people, especially graduate students, have negative net worths. Um, that is very common. Um, I had a negative net worth for sure. Pretty yeah, decent one going into graduate school. Thankfully, it was positive by the time I came out, but I went in with a negative one. Um, but the thing is that if you never like look at that, you will never know what your trajectory is like compared to it. So even if you could only take a really tiny, small step toward improving something about those numbers, like maybe opening a savings account and putting like $10 in it and maybe setting up a transfer for $10 every month, that's a, a small positive thing that you can be doing. It'll be reflected in that net worth statement. Or maybe it's, you know, 
making it a super intense goal to like pay off the balance of like one of your credit cards. Maybe it's a couple thousand dollars. And if you just like really buckle down and like sort of fast from various aspects of life for a few months, you could get there. And I'm not, you brought up avocado toast earlier. I'm not suggesting you're going to buy a house doing this, but like as a short-term thing, you can make a little bit of a bump in your finances by doing a short-term fast, not to sustain that like long-term. So what's like a really small positive step that you could do that could be reflected in that net worth number? And then if you can keep tracking it over time, it's really encouraging to see the numbers going in the right direction. And maybe not all the numbers are going to go in the right direction. Like maybe the student loan debt is still going to keep accumulating, but over here you have a little bit of savings. So you have some buffer when you get out of graduate school. So your net worth is, is one thing to be looking at. And I suggest actually tracking it on at least a once per month basis. So like I calculate my net worth on the first of every month. So it's the same day, like my mortgage is paid and, you know, expenses sort of look the same on that date. The other thing is to know your cash flow. So like how much is coming in and how much is going out and to what different areas. And you can get more detailed with this over time if you want to, or if it's helpful to you. But again, just to know the high level numbers, what's coming in, what's going out, um, what's going to rent, what do I spend on food, these kinds of things. And so um, a great, another tool <laughs> suggestion for you um, for, in terms of like tracking expenses and budgeting. I'm, I'm really actually a fan of people doing this kind of manually, um, especially at first, like, you know, using a spreadsheet, manually into numbers, um, writing things down on paper, whatever you think works for you. But if you like a software solution, and I know a lot of people do, um, the tool is You Need a Budget. It's abbreviated YNAB. It's a very, very popular budgeting um, software, and it comes with like a set of rules that really help you understand what's going on with your money and how to create a successful budget. And it is a paid tool, but it's free for the first year for students. So if you enter whatever they ask you to like prove that you're a student, you can get the first year for free, and that may get you sort of off the ground with budgeting. Um, yeah, so know your net worth know your cash flow, and you can get more detailed with that if you want to as you go on. And then the third part is know your credit score. Um, not that you necessarily have to do that much about your credit score, um, but just know what it is and know that by practicing healthy credit habits, like paying off your balances in time and in full, um, it'll get you to a higher credit score over time. So those would be kind of the three key like numbers in your life. No, I don't think I have any other questions. I just want to say thank you so much for sharing all of those resources. We'll definitely be sure to link them um, in the description as well as, um, of course, links to, to your website and your podcast. What an awesome conversation. That was Dr. Emily Roberts, owner of Personal Finance for PhDs. Check out the episode description for links to Emily's website and podcast, as well as other helpful resources. We'll see you next week.